You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Bree, this was a really fun way to round out the end of the season by asking Richard about how do we live into that and between action and contemplation from a place of values from the universal Christ. How did this episode strike you? Yeah, it was a nice way to wrap up and, you know, recap a lot of the themes that have been running through this entire season from uh, holding things in tension, like our experience, tradition with scriptures, holding the tension between um, deep time and urgency, holding the tension between grace and works, action and contemplation. And um, that seems to be so much the theme of what contemplation brings us to, mm. is that meeting point, like that surface where we're too... No, not surface. It's that point where two surfaces meet in a way, or yeah. substances or energies meet. And I really appreciate that Richard didn't try to shy away from that tension, but really brought us into the fact that this is this is the meeting point. It's in the it's in the embodiment of that tension. It's in the acting from that tension. It's from seeing from that tension that new creativity can arise and that we can hopefully live into these ideas of the universal Christ more fully. Yeah, I felt like we were, we were walking on that edge of what's next? How is this Christ mystery gonna to continue to emerge? Uh, we talked about both the institutional church and then also alternative community as we try to risk the different ways where we can embody the universal Christ in our context and time here now, because it is you know that path of unknowing we seem to be on that we're, we're trying to figure out how do we live in community and do this, but also do our own personal work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we didn't land anything concrete in the sense of like, and here's step two of eight. It's just, yeah. again, we that sense of we have to live into this. We have to right. risk our, 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 you know, making mistakes and the experimentation. And I found that so rich. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how much our human nature wants to just land on. It's got to be this, or it needs to be that, or, you know, the future for the CAC is going to look like this. Right. And to be a contemplative in the world is this and, you know, A, B, and C, like you said, a very linear progression or stepped approach. But it's not. It's messy. It's complex. We're all in this together and we're figuring it out together. And it's from that ground that the universal Christ begins to manifest uniquely in our time. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of that. There's a, there's a quote that I like to... Um, Did I say it? Yeah, Paul, it was you. It was you. You're so full of wisdom. I just write down everything you say. Hopefully that's not awkward. But uh, no, I noticed. no, it was it was Thomas Merton. He said something about um, you know, fidelity to, to tradition is not the renunciation of all new initiative. Mm-hmm. He said, um, if anything, fidelity to tradition is is the embrace of creativity. He says monasticism is is nothing if not creative. Yeah. And I felt Richard inviting us into that, that the fruits of the universal Christ are born uniquely in our time through us. So we can relax our codependency on the tradition, um, and insofar as I mean like Sunday church, or Mm -hmm. we can relax our codependency on our wisdom teachers Mm -hmm. because we can learn how to trust that um, Christ is manifesting through us individually and as a community as well, and that it's gonna be different. It's gonna be different than the way it was before. Yeah. And it's, it's a relaxing into that willingness that we've been talking about. I really love that phrase. I do too. I do too. Because it, it's so, there's a freedom in that. And it reminds me of that, of the spirit blows where it will. And can I be willing to, to harness that energy and, and follow it uh, deeper and deeper into this universal Christ mystery? Mm-hmm. 
So with that, we hope that you'll enjoy this conversation on the fruits of the universal Christ, the end of season three of Another Name for Everything. Well, this has been an amazing journey here as we've it has walked yes. through the universal Christ with a, a different lens on uh, in a lot of ways. And I appreciate the way that we started with the values mm-hmm. as a way to lay that foundation of what are these values that arise out of the universal Christ and how do they help us live into the and between action and contemplation? So Richard, how does that land with you? That and is that holding space between action and contemplation and kind of that centering pivot point that doesn't allow one to take flight or the other, but the and kind of seems to be the ground where the universal Christ lives. Can you speak to that mm. and between action and contemplation in light of the universal Christ? I'll try. Uh, It's the classic, classic dilemma that doesn't need to be a dilemma, but when we start on the journey, it is. And that's why the classic Hindu text, Bhagavad Gita, is on the same thing. Uh, Whenever you enter into God talk, spiritual talk, any attempt is going to be limiting. It's always bigger than that, more than that. And that's why people like Pseudo-Dionysius and the Cloud of Unknowing said, every affirmation you make about God and you, it has to be followed, but that's not true. <laughs> it's more than that. I'm just copying them. Mm-hmm. Um, so same with action and contemplation. Here the center is now 32 years old. Uh, I thought I had some good definitions down in the early uh, period of the center, and I hope they're still okay. I don't know what they were uh, now. But um, I usually find myself saying it in a new way, another way. That sounds equally true. And you, you both know that my my uh, usual statement is and is the important word the the allowing the two to regulate correct balance and increase one another to uh, be able to act uh, as if you're acting from your own depths and your own center and to live in your own center holding the suffering of the world so, you know, they used to say, lex orandi est lex credendi. Forgive my Latin, but you've heard it in books, I'm sure. The, the law of praying is the law of believing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we, we uh, revealed our, our real way of believing when so often we prayed out of one or the other of those modes. Either prayed for God to change the world, too much uh, concern with agency and action and making it happen, or praying in a rather pious, internal way, to use the phrase that I'm afraid all Christians use, and I know it's sincere, to deepen my personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it seems to never get beyond that. 40 years later, I'm doing a retreat to deepen my personal relationship with Jesus. And I know that's said sincerely, 
but they've never jumped the bridge or walked the bridge between the two. So um, that's why we named the center that. Uh, and we've been trying for 32 years to unravel the values, the virtues that would necessitate. We've been talking about some of them this week. But it ends up amounting to uh, sort of a curriculum for spirituality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you drive the chariot without driving the chariot? Mm -hmm. huh? How do you... Um, know that the wild ass can't get you there but you can't get there without the wild ass it's it's paradoxical at the beginning and I think if we allow ourselves to be placed in that kind of paradox um, we'll come up with with something other than glib answers let me just Leave it at that. Something other, mm -hmm. something more than cliches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how much we have been um, exploring these values in, in terms of tension points. You know, we've been talking about tradition and tension with experience and scriptures. We've been talking about having a perspective that has both deep time, but an awareness of our inherent need to participate Yes. You know, and I keep thinking about the Trinity in that and mm. how helpful it is for us to think in Trinitarian terms. And it's so one of the one of the uh, buzzwords that, you know, we use in, in Christian contemplative circles is non-duality. Yes. It's like, well, what are we even talking about? What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. We That's dance right. around because it's a difficult concept to it be is. able to yes. explain, except that I think tension, as you're describing, Richard, has something to do with that and it that it's not an idea it's not a framework it's something that we live into and live from live and from very good so with that i'm wondering about the role of grace and works in all mm. of this um i wonder if grace isn't so much like a a, 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 a gift that's bequeathed from above as we traditionally understood yes, it yes but that just as we're swimming in systemic evil, as we've been talking about, uh, and things being absurd, are we not also swimming in infinite potentiality? Ooh, and nice. Isn't that also grace? But maybe could you speak to us about that tension of grace and works? It seems to be similar to action and contemplation in a way. Of course mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. You know, because we didn't have it well resolved by the... 16th century that's why the reformation had to happen and if you look at it at least in luther it happened around that cause we were called the works people we catholics who tried to earn our way through doing good works and the lutherans understandably called themselves the faith or grace people who relied uh, fully upon god doing it uh, they didn't have the vocabulary for how to integrate the two. It wasn't bad will because uh, religious life wasn't teaching it anymore. And here good Martin Luther was an Augustinian friar, but uh, if what he writes in his journals is true, he wasn't taught contemplation. Mm. He was taught a very guilt-laden law system. 
of earning God's love. And he, he naturally reacted against that. So um, I don't think I'm answering your question. Let's your, come bring me back, please. How do we um, understand yeah. the tension between grace and works? Oh, yeah. Oh, Similarly yeah. to action and contemplation, there's a... And the, and the air of grace is how you put it right, Brie. Yeah. Like it's also, is it that infinite potentiality that's in the mm. air? Right. That's so good. How do we understand? I think it's only understandable. You were moving toward it just before. When you're doing it or when it's being done unto you, mm. when you feel yourself acting, without really acting. I mean, I hope this doesn't sound, you know, woo-woo. <laughs> but I, I know that was true in writing Universal Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it still is when I open the book. I, what day did I write that page on? You don't even remember. I don't even remember it. It was... It, uh, See, that's amazing. And it makes me wonder, Richard, if... If there isn't this meeting point between grace and works, that is the that still and still moving point that you know mm -hmm. T. S. Eliot talks mm -hmm. about. That is the creative spark that that, and I don't mean creative as in creativity as in crafts and yeah, arts. I'm talking no, about arts and crafts. I'm talking about <laughs> the like trinitarian yeah. need to manifest yeah. Yeah. the art of life. That it seems like. Um, like contemplation is that which rests between grace and works. Um, and I know that we talk about action and contemplation, but at the center of that, there is this um, orientation toward a different center mm. from which we can live mm. from and perceive at the same time. I don't know. I, I, You're you right, know, of course. Exploring these things with you. But That's it, why all contemplative practices are some attempt to, to stop doing. Mm to enter into the Sabbath rest, to stop performing, to stop operating out of the performance principle, and to sit there in your lowliness, as Mary would say. Uh, and that's why it's so hard to teach and so hard for modern, postmodern people who idealize agency. Mm. Now, after you've learned how to do that, you actually can jump back on the horse and ride the horse, there is a place for agency. Right. But you're no longer taking yourself seriously. You're no longer saying, I, with the emphasis on the I, wrote that book. Mm. You want to say, the book got written, mm. you know, mm. and I uh, happen to be an instrument. That's just true. That's not, that's not pious language. And each of us will discover that according to what our gift is. Mm -hmm. But you see why grace is so hard to teach and why even the good Lutherans and, and their successors in later Protestant denominations very subtly, without knowing it, created another method, technique, formula, by which to put themselves back in charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they, they couldn't see they were doing that, but it became, to use the overused phrase, making a personal decision for Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Did you do that? Do. Do you hear that word? Mm -hmm. Did you do that? No, it is done unto you. It's not so much, I possess Christ, which is still in so many 
evangelical songs, uh, but Christ has, possesses me, which is also in many evangelical songs. Mm -hmm. So you can tell there's people who get it. Mm -hmm. But it, it's a transfer of agency, um, mm. uh, which frees you from your own um, need to do it right, uh, to do it uh, completely yourself, by yourself, or even to do it. Because <laughs> you look back and you know again and again and again, it was me. done to you yeah. by getting out of the way. That's yeah. why I, I find your the way you describe living in the flow mm -hmm. as so helpful. Because as I look at this this you know this debate of grace versus works, it's like one is passive and one is active, which is how people typically sure. separate Yin action and, and action and <laughs> contemplation. Same thing. They're like, well, one is kind of passive and one's mm -hmm. active, mm -hmm. but flow is both active and passive. Mm -hmm. It's a surrender to the moment, but you're still participating mm -hmm. as well. You're not removing yourself no. completely, but it's like the, oh, what is that poem from Rumi where he says, you know, I, I am the reed that's being played, yeah, you know, yes. that flute of Christ. Through. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, the, I, I find that helpful, Richard, to be thinking about um, that orientation toward flow is that incarnational place where we both rest in God and release and trust in you know grace that's being done unto us and yet we're also manifesting mm -hmm. we're also contributing mm -hmm. we're participating we're creating that helps me we're allowing. allowing it comes down to allowing yeah mm -hmm. uh, but and our allowing is important because mm -hmm. we can also resist yeah by hatred coldness judgmentalism fear and this is why I feel like that theme of willfulness and willingness keeps circling back around. Uh, oh yeah, that's so good. As we unpack these terms, because part of the I think for me is you know, especially even when I was even younger, that willfulness was so strong. Mm -hmm. And then when you get a taste of that willingness, you're like, oh, that was different. But I, I I'm not quite there yet. No, you know, I got to no. keep pushing no. this internal personal agenda. And every now and then I drop into that willingness. I'm like, well, I'm going to live here now. But I, wow. I'm just not quite there yet. Does that make For sense? For a young I'm, man, it's yeah. very difficult. Now, the modern young woman, it's equally difficult for. I think historically, it came easier to the woman because culture made her be willing. Do you understand? Yeah. Willingness was her state of life. Well, uh, we had more practice in a way because yeah, it's like... Yeah. Things are, you know, the, the pregnancy as an example. Yes, a big one. <laughs> you can't force any part of that. It's just kind of happening. Yeah, it's <laughs> like watching this thing expand inside of you like an alien taking over. Yeah. There's not a lot you can do. Yeah. Labor. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's funny because on, on my, my male experience on the other side, I was, I was also willingness. You know, I was like, I, there's nothing I can do here. Right. I am helpless. Yes. I have to trust the process. Yes, just hold her I'm hand. just kind of an extra in a movie, <laughs> just in the background, <laughs> you know, trying to support. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, you bring it to home. Mm. But it, it will never stop being a paradox. Each generation, each person has to resolve it. Even what we're saying here, we might be sending people on the right path, mm. but they still have to walk the path themselves 
overdue action for 10 years. It's usually that or longer. Uh, Hide in false contemplation, which Merton talked about uh, for many years, uh, which usually takes the form of piety Mm. or doing it with greater piety. You've heard me talk about the people who come to communion here at the parish church. Mm-hmm. Most people line up and put out their hands like everybody else. But uh, just this Wednesday, one lady makes a dramatic sign of the cross that and poor falls lady. to her feet, puts her arms out uh. to receive the body of Christ. It's okay. I give it to her. She's, um, she's, uh, we're equally unworthy, but she's trying too hard, mm-hmm. you want to say. Don't try so hard. Mm. <laughs> can't you believe Jesus could give himself to you even if you're not on your knees there's no incident of him asking people to get on their knees mm. in his life on earth you know I'm, I'm think, as I think about this and you know, we talk you know, a lot about the individual ways that we can embody the grace and the works and what we try to do or try to willfully do or willingly do Richard what is the, the, the place of community in this and I'm this is bringing back to me that our, that first conversation we had about values and as they kind of take on also the, the spirit of vows. So what does a vowed community look like that can support one another in this way of being in the universal Christ that may be outside the institutionalized church? Like we've been, you've mentioned the CAC as a place that's been trying to hold this space while not, um, not being against the church, but being on, on the no. edge of the inside. Yes. How do you see vowed communities that are in relationship to church or outside church helping us live into these values? Like everything, they have a, a strong plus and a dangerous minus. Mm. The strong plus, and I see it especially in so many women religious, uh, that they set a North Star for themselves historically at a very young age. And those who were able to keep moving toward that North Star. And it was very, very erotic. You know, they dressed like brides. We use the language of of bridal mysticism. Uh, I remember hearing the confessions of of young nuns, and they were so dear, so sincere. They just didn't want to displease their spouse, you understand? Now. I'd be willing to bet very few of them talk that overtly that way today, those same women. But it's, in, it's emblazoned inside of them, this vine and branch solidity. And that's why so many of them are involved in peace and justice works. Mm. Radical, working on borders all over the world with immigrants, with outsiders, with the rejected. Uh, it probably took that long to totally come together, but it didn't take that long. They were, midlife, they were already moving out of their robes, out of their titles. They're really an amazing group. I talked about them earlier. Uh, but it does happen, uh, and you have to Choose your beginning point and do it with sincerity. Equally, I've met so many Catholic worker people who chose social action, living among the poor, 
and recognized that by 30, they were ragged, they were angry, they were not prayerful, they were uh, ultimate doers. Um, and that sent them uh, back, it feels like back to them, onto uh, spiritual seeking. Mm. A lot of them have come here over the years. And I'm very happy for that because that's one of the major groups we want to help. So, um, you know, I think I have to say, they, however, however, offer the greater resistance because they're usually doers by temperament. They're doers by choice. They get their energy from action, from change, changing things. And God uses that and God loves them for it. But too often they are the casualties in the, uh, what, what is the adjective I want to use for the, what I call the ragged life. It, it, it's too often barking and pushing and shoving. The, the phrase that comes to, light, uh, to mind uh, was again from Thomas Merton, doesn't it always? He said, you can't teach a monk contemplation till he stops slamming doors. It sounds so harmless. But when you slam a door in, in, in community, uh, you're unconscious. You, you really don't realize uh, the effect of that on everybody else. And you just don't want to do that. You, you learn to close doors very gently mm. so it doesn't bother others. But like I keep saying, forgive me, but every person has to learn that for himself. Mm. You can't make it a rule of the convent. Mm -hmm. Nuns did, and it worked much of the time. But when it's just a willful commandment, it doesn't necessarily lead to empathy or compassion or understanding or even caring. Mm. It's just we don't slam doors here at St. Mary's Convent. <laughs> and it's quite pleasant to live in most convents. Mm. Absolutely clean and absolutely quiet. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting to think about the way you use those two examples as somewhat as polarities, where it's the... You're, bringing up the sisters as this internalized devotion that event that became a manifestation outwardly as they were serving the world. Yes. And then those in the Catholic worker movement will sometimes start with just that outward expression. That's right. And then they have to come back to that devotion. And I think this speaks to the part of what you've been saying too, is the way you, you will point out these differences and then reconcile them. And it, it makes me realize that there has to be an honoring of the different starting places yeah. within community yeah. and not try to say, be prescriptive about the outcome before these these values get internalized and acknowledge that it's going to look different for each person even within a dedicated vowed community good spiritual thinking differentiates before it unites mm -hmm. and people who just run to a false uh, uniformity usually haven't got the dilemma yet the dilemma that has to be overcome mm. uh and uh, I always say we learn that from the Trinity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. They hold their identity 
and yet overcome that diversity by a flow of infinite love. And most, it'd be another thing that most of us have a preference for. Liberals have a preference for diversity, honoring everybody's individual whatever, and people who are conservative think they're honoring unity, and sometimes they are, but usually they're honoring uniformity mm -hmm. and insisting on uniformity, which is a disguise that takes the place of unity. It's so powerful to consider how just as the metaphysical, we were talking about, just as the metaphysical and the personal intersect at the social, mm. that in a way it seems like what you're saying is the action and the contemplation, they meet in the and of community and relationship and mm. relational life together where mm. this inner life of prayer is converted into an external life of civic engagement, of, of relationship, of love, of creativity. And one of the things that Paul and I spend a lot of time talking about is how much we need support mm. to live into this, yes. uh, to, to really embody the universal Christ. Even, even as we've been discussing these values or values as vows, we long for that kind of intentionality and intentional community that can live this out. And Richard, I wonder if you could speak to, I don't know if you have uh, an opinion of the, the pitfalls and the benefits of, or the, the gift of intentional communities, why they work, why they don't work. Mm -hmm. And I'm not um, here referring to monastic community, but yes. those mm -hmm. alternative attempts that we see, um, you know, many examples of, that you were a part of an intentional yes, community. Yes. Because I do think to really fully embody this, you know, it requires a different orientation and a group of it people to, <laughs> to consider how this can look yeah. in society. So yeah. would you speak Intentional to community is a school more than an end in itself. Mm. But you don't realize that it almost has to be hidden from you, that you're here to learn, as Benedict says at the beginning of his rule, which is why so many monks and nuns, frankly, get less interested in all the structure by the time they hit 50 or so. It's just, I don't know that I need to keep doing this, but it was wonderful for me at 25 and 30. Uh, and, you know, I, I, because of the New Jerusalem community in Cincinnati, uh, having gone through all its stages with them, uh, that's what really convinces me that's true. That it was good for me to leave so they could grow up, and many of them live the values, and their children even more, of, of peace and justice, and solidarity with other groups um, better than maybe we do here. It's, it's shocking to me and, and wonderfully surprising to me as I, um, but maybe this, uh, get their stories as I get their stories. But maybe the same is going to be true of the CAC staff, you know, that here they're putting all their energy into holding together the CAC the way we held together the New Jerusalem. 
but enough of the bigger gospel is hopefully going to rub off on them that the CAC is not an end in itself. Mm -hmm. If we say that about the church, then we have to say it about every organization within the church. Um, but that's such a common confusion, confusing the finger pointing to the moon uh, with the moon, confusing the school with life. Now that's why we call our school the living school. This is a preparation for life. It's not an end in itself to keep learning this stuff over and over and over again. It's so you internalize it and it becomes existential for you, experiential. Your own way of breathing, your own way of moving in the world. So I, I love intentional communities. I suspect they're always going to emerge. Mm. Uh, but we have to have the freedom, which even the church, uh, at least the Catholic Church, created, created such a thing as dispensation from vows. Mm. Completely a holy process. If you did it respectfully and lovingly, and uh, so many of my peers got dispensed from their vows. And my gosh, the man who taught me systematic theology has been working with Indians in Florida and his wife his whole life. I hope he sees his name in the new book. Mm. Um, but he's still doing systematic theology. And I bet these Seminole Indians have no idea what a genius this man is. So, um, you know, I, I'm convinced this is not a stretch, that this is the dilemma Jesus is trying to resolve when he talks about wine and wineskins. Mm. Yeah. It really is why you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. You, you, after a while, when you've drank some of the new wine, you need a new container. Yeah. And for many people, that new container, for my group, was marriage, or at least non-intentional community. And I say that also because I've seen so many who stayed in become stale, become, without realizing it, sort of self-centered, because we don't have anybody to worry about. We can go home and shut the door. No wife, no kids. Uh, the Franciscans are paying our bills. That's dangerous mm. for the spiritual life. Very dangerous. So isn't it a surprise? That yeah. Those who, I'm not saying this is true of all of them, but many who keep their vows have lost their call to discipleship. Mm. And many who broke their vows or got a, a dispense from their vows found the meaning of discipleship mm. without all the props and the, the decorations. Another name for everything will continue in a moment.
Is There Life After Doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wanting, Art and Spirituality features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avett, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash wanningart. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. Have you taken an online course with the Center for Action and Contemplation? Explore the intersection of ancient wisdom and Jesus' teachings in The Divine Exchange, an online course featuring Cynthia Bourgeau. Fully embrace divine interaction each day, starting June 16th. Register today at cac.org slash online dash ed. That's cac.org slash O-N-L-I-N-E dash E-D. I love the way that you named intentional communities as more of a school than as an end in themselves. Cause it's that spirit of experimentation, innovation, risk. And I think this is what we're trying to do at the living school, right? Like trying to, to have something new emerge. Um, and I was also really struck by the way you said that, um, the, the children of the original community members of oh, new yes. Jerusalem, cause I see that my own wife where she, her parents and her extended family were a part of intentional communities. And the way that's trickled down to how, uh, Laura and her, her siblings and cousins relate to community wow. is very counterintuitive to what I would say, like the, the general masses do. What does it mean to live in community? And so I would love to see more experimentations of, what does it look like to approach intentional community as a school of life? Um, but maybe that, as you said, maybe being too aware of that actually ends up collapsing on itself. I'm afraid it usually does. Yeah. When you try to hold on to its structures too rigidly, you gather rigid people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many of the major communities, even in the church, the most creative period certainly obvious in the Franciscans and the Jesuits, is that first generation. Uh, and less so, I'm not saying it's absent, but those who come along to ride on the coattails of an existing good thing mm -hmm. uh, don't have to take many risks. Mm -hmm. Those who first joined the Franciscans had to really be poor <laughs> and lose their parents' and their families respect in, in old Assisi. Uh, now we join the Franciscans and we get a full liberal arts education. <laughs> and, it's, and I'm not saying that's wrong. Yeah, right. I got one of them, but it's a different agenda. It's mm -hmm. a different agenda. What is it about the human nature need to pour concrete over the living first authentic experience, oh, yes, you know, yes, yes. and it, it, it speaks to me about, um, how you emphasize the living tradition. And as we're sitting here talking about yeah. intentional community and learning how to trust 
authentic, what is emerging. Um, you know, the living tradition seems to be a way to orient so that we're not constantly looking to the past or trying to recreate right. the past. That's right. Or, uh, you know, take what was maybe an authentic experience of an intentional community or, say, a movement like Francis <laughs> that he started and then pour concrete on it mm. and try to systematize it and create dogma around it. And I, I don't know. I think one of the things I'm wondering, Richard, is um, as it pertains to Christianity itself, you know, we're in one of those flux periods. You we sure are. I feel surrounded by friends who don't feel like they fit into institutional Christianity anymore. Yes. And there's a real loss there because it's mm. a sense of, I don't, I, I, it's not that my beliefs aren't coming with me. Or it's not that my faith isn't coming with me. It's just that I don't plug into the system. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I've heard you say a lot is that secularity is the natural mm. child of Christianity. And I wonder if you could, reflect on that a little bit as it pertains to where we are now and maybe helping us trust mm, yeah. what our experience might be wanting, you know, what, what the universal Christ may want to look like uniquely in our time. Mm -hmm. You know, in all fairness, I learned that very phrase from Ron Rollheiser, who's always been a spiritual brother to me, he teaches in San Antonio. He says it's the predictable child of Christianity. In other words, once you get Karl Rahner's supernatural existential, <laughs> to use a big theological term, that everything is supernatural, that there is no such thing as the natural. When you fully understand the gospel, it's what I'm trying to say in the universal Christ. Mm. God permeates everything from the beginning. There's no running to the holy. There's no running away from the holy. Now, once you get that, you let more and more of the scaffolding fall away. You don't push it away. You don't hate it. You don't reject it. But in all fairness, you don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to do that gently because you know that the young novices, as it were, or the first year of the living school, they still need all of that. Um, and they've got to find out how to gently let go of their reliance upon it without rejecting it. Mm. So that's why the most used phrase in the living school is include and transcend. How can you include your youth, your teenage years, your 20s, your beginnings of your journey, and note that that is transcendence. Mm. It's such a miraculous phrase, although Ken Wilber said it in the opposite. He said transcend and include. We've sort of turned it around. I still think it's better, but if I ever get to talk to him again, I'll ask him why he said it that way. You're, the more you can, let's instead of using the word include, let's use the word forgive. Mm -hmm. The more you can forgive, because that's what it comes down to, mm -hmm. the, the bigger field you're living in, mm -hmm. the bigger field, till you live in the reign of God. Um, it's always a matter of forgiving reality for being what it is. Forgiving reality for being imperfect. 
forgiving my wife for not meeting all of my needs, forgiving my children for not being absolutely perfect. Uh, they have little traits that I frankly wish they didn't have as much as I like them. <laughs> and I'm sure every parent has to go through that. So um, did I answer it? Sort of? Secularity, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, once you get that, uh, yeah, you don't need all the scaffolding. But you don't reject the scaffolding. And in fact, you can find yourself talking in very worldly ways. Or, uh, God forbid, I, I hate to say this too strongly, but, uh, you know, most of this week we didn't begin with a conscious prayer. Mm. Yeah. You just don't absolutely need to. Prayer is living in conscious union with God. Now, if you've tried to step out of bed this morning in conscious union with God, you're not changing the channel right now. You're still on that channel mm -hmm. of, and you're hopefully speaking and listening. So, but to the person at the early stage, I was, uh, went to a retreat house once and was never invited back. They said, because you didn't begin your retreat with a prayer. You just started talking. <laughs> and I should have. I should have started with a prayer. But you and I both know that becomes perfunctory performance very often. Mm -hmm. you know? Doesn't make it wrong, but it looks secular. Yeah. What's that quote from Merton that you begin the What Do We Do With Evil book? It sprang to mind of, uh, how did you say it? Where it's uh, at some point you become, you become to find that you're religious, you're oh, religionless. Yeah. Yeah. And then inevitably you come back anyway. And it, to me, it, it exudes that same spirit of you don't need the form. You're not attached to that scaffolding, no, even no. though you can still go back and, and uh, show up and use that same language. But it's just, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's translated in a, in, in a different way. As I remember, you almost said it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a one thing. Hey, go ahead. You almost got it, Paul. Uh, yeah. But then you disappointed me. I'm, I'm not going to say it perfectly either. <laughs> it's my daily humiliation. Uh, at a certain point, most religion becomes laughable. Uh, and that's uh, a strong statement. Yeah. yeah. And then later you realize you are nonetheless religious. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. there's a mind and heart that can live with paradox. Mm. Good stuff, as he always is. Mm. When I find that so encouraging, Richard, because as we try to navigate what this looks like in the world, you're giving permission to, um, to have a posture of willingness. As you said, I really appreciate, I'm, I'm going to start to think about this willingness as letting the scaffolding fall without rejecting it or pushing it away. Yes, it's, yes. It's the, it's the orientation toward just being where we are and embracing it and then finding the two or three uh, community, <laughs> finding the others who are also in that place to walk alongside of you and say, all right, let's just do this together. Mm -hmm. You know, let's connect. Let's have meals together. Because I do think um, the touch point, you know, in such an individualistic society, we do need some kind of structures of community Yes, because those are so absent now. We don't have them. You yes, know? very so it's, true. It's so easy to just stay in our individual oh. or in our personal family life 
and not be walking alongside of other people who can who are devoted mm-hmm. yeah who yeah. can animate who that can, can, devotion yeah. and mm-hmm. simplicity and and public virtue as you've been inviting us mm-hmm. to do the scaffolding is good and i mean that sincerely mm-hmm. it's just not very good <laughs> very good is when you're doing the dance naturally uh and therefore you don't have to uh, force people to accept your symbol system. Mm-hmm. It's not tribal anymore. The, the, the scaffolding level, you listen for the right words, you're disappointed when they don't use your words, and you don't realize the egocentricity of that, mm-hmm. and that the mystery of God is beyond words. But that's a learning that comes slowly. And that's why the, the true second half of life mystic will always be called a heretic, a sinner, dangerous, an outsider. Mm. Now, you should never seek that name, but don't be surprised if you're called that Mm. because people who are very sincere, very sincere, and maybe more dedicated than you are earlier on the journey, you look that way. This is dangerous, Richard. Uh, I've had it said to me many times, and believe me, I, I go home uh, with pause. Am I stretching too far? You know, am I running away from the center, mm-hmm. the core? I hope not. I think not. But I've got a. Uh, in the last day of my life, I still need to be asking that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a it seems like such a healthy response to be able to, so. to ask that of yourself. And am I living in the radical trust that the universal Christ is continuing to emerge mm. in me and around me? Or am I following my own uh, yes. narcissistic intuition yes. here? My Messiah complex. Mm. Yeah, I've been accused of it all my life. And mm. I have to say, to what degree is it true? Why don't a thousand other ministers and priests say what I'm saying and actually they do in many cases they just weren't given the the immense platform that providence seems to have given me that I I get to say these things and and allow them to be heard that's a gift mm-hmm. yeah that trust in the relational field <laughs> you know I mean mm-hmm. it's like it goes full mm-hmm. circle for um, talking about devotion and simplicity and living into this public justice that we're in relationship, um, whether we realize it or not. We're in conscious relationship with one another. Mm. We're in relationship uh, to Christ in all things manifesting, you know, and that there's, there's this cosmic Catholicity <laughs> Very good. that becomes our new capital T tradition that we can yes. trust. Mm. Yes. Even if many of us are... Uh, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm like a Christian mutt. I don't really fit in. Anyway. <laughs> and I remember I came to you, Richard, actually. Did you? Two years ago, I think Tell it was. Me. And I was like, you know, uh, feeling like I needed to like join the, you know, join well, in somewhere because mm-hmm. I felt, uh, you know, uh, expulsed from my evangelical background. So I was like, well, maybe I should be, maybe mm-hmm. I should convert to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Like this makes so much sense. You know, I love the mystics. Mystics are mostly Catholic. I should totally be Catholic. Plus they have all the symbols I like and the incense and it's so much prettier. <laughs> so I, pretty. It's so pretty. And I came to you about this. I hope I don't get you in trouble by sharing the story. And your response no, was. No, what did I say? You said, 
why? Because <laughs> 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 like, oh. I've gone through the pretty stage. <laughs> I mean, oh, when I first got to dress up, it was so exciting, but. Believe me, the fascination ends. Right. <laughs> but I think in that, your response in that moment helped me recognize, no, we really are all in this together. We don't yeah. need the labels of the different denominations. And even for those of us who don't feel like we fit in anymore to Sunday church, something is manifesting that can be trusted. We are participating in the unfolding story of the universal Christ and these values, what I appreciate, Richard, is that these values give us something of a structure to orient to. Uh, f- I'm thinking of myself because I still don't quite fit into Sunday church life. Um, I actually started attending a Zen Sangha instead, mm. which same difference. But um, that the vows ha- give us a, a structure, maybe a, a focus for for what community life could look like for what an alternative that's right community that's right. could look like that's yeah. seeking to live out these values mm-hmm. of the universal christ together yeah you need the juice of dedication and mm. devotion from other people to keep your own juices going we used to speak of the the midday devil did you ever have that expression oh yeah the loss of momentum and inspiration usually in your 40s Mm. where it's, oh, stop it. I, I'm tired of playing this game. Mm. And if you don't have some truly inspiring, dedicated, devoted, use whatever word you want, people rubbing off on you, you will tend to wander away into, we talked about it earlier, mm. cynicism. Mm. It's well-hidden cynicism, but it still is. And it's a beast. It's a real beast. Because you look like you're still tolerance and sort of believing that's the noonday devil at least as i define him Hmm. those relationships can keep us honest then in a way just like marriage yeah Yeah. why it's so important to marry someone you really love and can respect and appreciate um, because they're doing that rubbing off on you yeah and i think too as uh you know my wife is certainly my anchor in that relationship yes. and that mirror and also friends who are also on a devoted path that so that your partner doesn't have to become the end all be all and should no. be holding that whole mirror view becomes a burden for both of you. And I think, you know, I keep coming back to the two or three on this path and just having yep. someone who's yep. going to be able to ask those questions that, 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 that penetrate through that level of uh, where you need to go next. How are you living this out? Well, how are these values actually being expressed in who you are? And Rich, I feel like you, you know, the, the weight that you have to do, do that for so many people is you hold up that mirror and things get put upon you and then you have to kind of give them back that their gold, those mm, projections back. Hope so. How, can you speak to that? Because I know there's a lot of teachers and pastors who are who listen to this, who reach out, and things get put onto them, and they have they carry that weight yes. of being that projection. That projection. To and this is kind of a strange question, but how, what what how do what do you offer those in who are trying to lead a community as a way to do that with integrity and humility <coughs> to to not carry that gold and that projection or shadow of others? Don't. Well, let me drink. It's just water, everyone. (laughs) It's not vodka. (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) Uh, 
first of all, you got to respect that people need to do that projection. Don't uh, dismiss them too quickly. <clears throat> In the men's work especially, and a number of men told me this over the years, I need to call you father. Mm. I don't need them to call me father, but mm -hmm. they need to say it. <clears throat> I'm sorry. There. Uh, you have to be secure enough to hold the projection without becoming over-identified with it and subsumed under it or insisting on it. <clears throat> like the young Jesuits you were talking about, who call me father. Well, probably that's the first indication you don't have father energy yet. Mm -hmm. If you did, you wouldn't need it, need the name. It's one of those paradoxes again. But you're begging for it, you're trying to grow into it. Doesn't make the guy a bad guy. But um, you let them project whatever they need onto you because know with equal certainty they will project the negative onto you. And can you equally carry the negative projection when it comes? Because it often, I kid you not, comes from the exact same people who project the wrong thing onto you. You're their ticket to fame. You're their ticket to a job. You're their ticket to um, vicarious holiness. Uh, and um, they'll treat you very deferentially, if that's a word, I guess it is. Um, but boy, when you don't follow their agenda, and how many times have I gone through this, even here at the CAC, where uh, they become, in all truth, your most vicious enemies, your most vicious enemies who just do everything they can because you did not live up to what they needed you to be. Uh, but they couldn't see that. It's not their fault. Is that any kind of answer? I th it keeps coming back to the, the forgiving reality in a lot forgiving of ways. We just reality. have to allow, yeah. Yeah. forgive in that spirit of the emergence of the universal Christ and everywhere and anywhere. Not oh. just no longer contained to the, the community that we've called church, uh, but as we pertains to what we've talked about politics mm -hmm. and uh, well, the and environment. It, it also seems to be an invitation for us with our teachers, right, mm. Richard? To, mm -hmm. to be conscious of our projections, to be aware of the ways we like to make ourselves infantile almost yes. in a codependent relationship yeah, yeah. so that we don't have to act and trust the universal Christ emerging in us. In us. You Very know, good. it, it yes. becomes a becomes another escape route to just push mm -hmm. and project all the mm -hmm. all the power, all the insight, all the action onto mm -hmm. you or Cynthia mm -hmm. or Jim or any of our teachers mm -hmm. or even the mystics mm -hmm. or even Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, but to but to trust that this um this unfolding manifestation of Christ is part of us too, means we have to embrace reality as it is and forgive it as it is and be willing <laughs> to participate. And that's such an invitation for us, Richard. I wonder if in closing, I don't know if you would be comfortable with this, but 
since um, you were talking about prayer, I wonder if you would close this season with a word of prayer for mm. all of us seeking to live mm. into devotion, simplicity, and you know what you've called public virtue or a, a life of solidarity mm. and action. Would you pray for us? I'll try. Remembering uh, we do not know how to pray, as Paul says in Romans 8, but you pray through us and with us and in us and as us. And all we can do is say yes to that deeper flow, that deeper goodness, that deeper loving. We all, in this little room, this little hermitage, where so many people have prayed, we thank you for using us, knowing that it might just be one little phrase on the fifth episode uh, that someone is ready to hear and could change their entire worldview. We thank you for allowing us to speak it, however weakly and feebly. I thank you, loving God, for Bree and Paul for caring about this message so much. Sometimes I feel many members of the staff care about it more than I do. I take it for granted many times and get tired of having to speak it, but they pull better things out of me. So we praise you, we thank you, we bless you on this first day of fall as we enter into another cycle, another falling, trusting that this falling will also predict a certain springtime, a certain resurrection, and a certain Easter. We thank you for Eastering in us, as the poet says, uh, so we can trust that it's true everywhere else too. We bless you, loving God. We thank you with all of your creatures. In Jesus' name, in the name of the universal Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Oh, my. What a way to end. That was perfect. Yeah, I thought it was, was good perfect. to ask me to pray. And that's it for today's episode of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, thanks to the generosity of our donors. The beautiful music you're listening to was brought to you by Will Reagan. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. To learn more about the themes of the Universal Christ, visit universalchrist.org. In the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? 
The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.